Again to badquaker.com podcast. Today is Monday, April 2nd, 2012. This is Ben Stone, and we are now, uh, the website itself, badquaker.com, is one year old, a little over one year old, about a year and a week. Uh, we're not to our one year anniversary on the podcast yet. Uh, when Back when we uh, very first got the, the website established, and I think I talked about this last Thursday on the last podcast. At first, I was just putting my writings up there, and then I got really bold and started recording uh, my articles that I wrote. And it wasn't for about a month until uh, Kai joined me, and we began doing actual podcasts. So our our actual f- one-year anniversary for our first podcast is not coming up for a few more weeks. But, um, oh, I forgot to say, this is... Podcast number 127, Um, and I think I said the date for Monday, April 2nd. Yeah, I did say the date. I remember saying that. Okay. Anyway, so we're going to start off the the podcast today by uh, repeating everything that I've just got through saying, and we'll start off the podcast today repeating everything that I just got through saying. Isn't that lovely? Okay. um, Now, yeah, we are coming up on our one-year podcast, and so I was looking back uh, on our one-year anniversary, that is, of our first podcast, I was looking back and I realized that that very first podcast that Kai and I did, we were extremely uncomfortable and it was very clunky and you could hear it, you could tell it. Uh, we we both really, we were struggling sharing one mic and kind of shouting across the room and um, it, w- it was very, uh, very uncomfortable. But for some odd reason... Um, some of you f- people found us entertaining, and you stuck with us, and uh, we we grew a lot. You know, we learned a lot about how to speak to a microphone and how to interact with each other when being recorded, and and uh, through the unbelievably generous donations of listeners, we were able to not only s- secure the website for another year, but buy this wonderful audio equipment that you're hearing right now, and so it made a dramatic. Uh, difference in the sound quality of our podcasts, and and we still haven't worked out all the uh, all the oddities. Uh, when you know when Kai came back to pot to to the podcast uh, a week ago or whatever it was, I messed up the sound pretty severely then. But uh, but we are learning; it's a learning process, and and we're being helped out by uh, you know uh, people in in the industry so to speak if there is a podcast industry that know more than us people like Michael W Dean has been a big help to us not only with the website but with uh, audio equipment and how to do things and stuff so uh, we do appreciate all the 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 folks that donated and made all this stuff possible 
the early donations, even before we had the website, to don- the donations that made it all possible. We really appreciate that. We appreciate the listeners that have stuck with us in, in times of inconsistency and family emergencies when it didn't look like we were going to be able to even have podcasts anymore. And you guys stuck with us. And, you know, and then the, all the help that came from other podcasters and uh, the encouragement that came from people on Facebook, we really appreciate all of that, you know, all the support over the last year. It's, it's really, been, uh, really been heartwarming. Now, I wanted to, and this is maybe a little bit uh, patting myself on the back, but I did want to mention that a year ago, it wasn't exactly a year ago on this, on the website or on the podcast, but um, I believe I was saying it in several locations, including uh, Facebook about a year ago. I was saying that the GOP has no intention of winning the presidency in 2012. Um, they're following the same plan that they used in 1996 when they ran the zombie Bob Dole against, against Bill Clinton. If you recall that, you know, Bob Dole, they, they, uh, they wheeled him out and they kept all the image, imaging imagery of Bob Dole, uh, very, um, hmm, very mechanical and they controlled everything that he said and everything that he did and every appearance that he had. And all the time, he just seemed uh, non-human the whole time. And, of course, Clinton just beat him mercilessly and took the, took the election, the re-election in 1996. And then as soon as Clinton won that re-election, the GOP was smart enough that they used everything he did, every, every mistake Clinton made or every anything that he did, the, the GOP jumped on it and used it to beat up Congress. And therefore, each time, every two years, as the House was having re-elections every two years, the GOP just kept sliding more and more and more Republicans into the House of Representatives. And they did the same thing with the Senate. As the Senate came up for, each time senators came up for re-election, the GOP used uh, Clinton to beat up the, uh, the seated senator. And the GOP, uh, by the time that Bush took over in 2000, the GOP had gained a solid majority in both houses and the presidency. That is exactly, and this is what I said a year ago, that is exactly their plan now. The GOP, the, excuse me, the GOP has not ever intended to win the 2012 uh, presidential election. They just did not. That's why they ran the bozos that they ran, Ron Paul being the exception. Of course, Ron Paul was never representative of of the mainstream GOP anyway, but uh, and neither would they ever have allowed him to win. But not the point. The, my point being that I said this a year ago. I'm still saying it now. The GOP has not, nor do they plan on winning the 2012 presidential election. That's not part of their plan. They plan on keeping Obama in place because he's doing everything they want him to do. He's doing all the nasty things that if Republicans were in there, they'd be getting beat up by the press for these things. But Obama can do them, and the press looks the other way. So as long as Obama's in there setting precedent that he can do these things, when the Republicans finally get their man in uh, four years from now, the power he's going to have is going to be unbelievable. Now that's their plan. And, And like I said, I said that a year ago. Well... As it, as it happens, Justin Raimondo over at um, 
Antiwar.com put out an article last Friday saying almost exactly what I've been saying for a year now. And I'm not I'm not claiming that Justin you know stole from me or anything like that. I doubt if Justin Romando even knows even knows that there is a bad Quaker podcast or if you know I doubt he knows that Ben Stone exists or I'm sure he doesn't know my uh, anything about my Facebook page or anything like that. So I'm not trying to claim he copied from me or anything. What I'm saying is with time, this is becoming more and more obvious, and more and more people are going to catch on and realize that, indeed, this is the GOP's plan. It's their plan exactly like it was their plan in uh, 1996. They're, they're following, you know, step by step, the same, the same uh, game, uh, same playbook. So, okay, so Justin, great article. I fully enjoyed it. I just sat there and shook my head and thought, man, I... I could have written this a year ago, but I'm glad somebody's saying it, and and such a good voice, too. Justin Romando does a great job uh, at everything that he writes. Now, given this opportunity, I want to do a little bit more predicting. Um, I've said this before. This is not new. The state is going to provide a Ron Paul substitute. You see, the GOP is looking at this, and the, and the insiders in the GOP have never understood the Ron Paul phenomenon. They've never understood Ron Paul as a person. What kind of a weirdo is this that comes to Washington and won't play ball with all the other uh, slimy politicians? He won't. Uh, he won't. You know, take favors from the from the uh, lobbyists. He won't accept these uh, expensive trips, and he won't accept all these wonderful, uh, hmm, 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 we don't call them bribes, but we, well, let's just say advantages that the rest of Congress enjoys. Ron Paul doesn't engage in those things. Uh, Ron Paul votes his conscious 100% of the time. What kind of a freak in Washington does that? So the GOP has not... Uh, and cannot understand Ron Paul, nor do they understand his his followers. So uh, what they're going to do, as the GOP wide-eyed stares at this phenomenon, what they're going to attempt to do, as I've said before, is they will attempt to provide a Ron Paul substitute. Somebody, and, and I've said this also, that the, uh, Sarah Palin was an attempt at this. Uh, Sarah Palin was an attempt to appease the sort of Ron Paul Tea Party type people, and to a certain extent, uh, to a certain extent, uh, uh, Michelle Bachman was an attempt in the same direction. But she was such a cartoonish figure, as was Sarah Palin, that most Ron Paul people just saw right through that nonsense. Anyway. Um, so who's going to be the Ron Paul substitute? I don't. I don't know. I don't know. It could be any variety of people. Um, sadly to say, the Ron Paul substitute could be Rand Paul. Rand seems to really be on track on some things, but on some very major things, Rand doesn't seem to understand some of the fundamentals that come natural to his father. But uh, so so Rand could be the Ron Paul substitute. It could be any of a, of a number of others that are already in Washington. I tend to think it's going to be an outsider out of nowhere because that's really what these, uh, what these, uh, the people that control the strings of both the Democratic and Republican Party, 
and I'm not saying there's some kind of you know conspiracy or whatever. It's just there are powerful people who who make these decisions in high levels, the Bill Crystals and 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 beyond that, you know, people that tell Bill Crystal how to think. But anyway, um, whoever those people are. They, I believe, are going to bring somebody out of nowhere because that's what they love to do. Bill Clinton was was a guy out of nowhere. Jimmy Carter was a guy out of nowhere. Sarah Palin came out of nowhere. Um, you know, a lot of these people that they really either intend to to uh, to move into one of these positions, or they um, or they actually are successful and move them into one of these positions. They very often come out of nowhere with very little background, but they know all the right talking points, and they sound right, and they're able to sweep in those, uh, um, you know, the the people that that look that don't look as deeply as some people look. Let's say when they when they examine a candidate. Anyway, so I don't know who the substitute Ron Paul will be. I only know that there will be a substitute Ron Paul if they don't bring one in for the 2012 presidential election they'll begin grooming one so that um so that they can so that they don't have to deal with this uh ron paul movement you know as time goes in the future they these these people would always rather it's just like with the tea party they would always rather infiltrate it and pervert it than deal with it head on they they really uh are not um equipped to deal with uh, any kind of a true grassroots movement head-on, they their their way of dealing with it is to you know infect it, corrupt it, uh, um, uh, marginalize it, uh, you know embarrass it, uh, change its direction, you know divert its attention. All these things they would rather do than to face a ground a groundroots movement head-on. So, okay, so that's my um, proposal, or my prediction for the Ron Paul movement. Now, um, some of the things that you might expect to hear um, when this substitute comes along, we're going to hear things like, well, you know, uh, better some progress than none at all. Well, maybe. It's according to what you're progressing towards. What is it that you want from your uh, Ron Paul movement? Uh, Are you progressing towards, say... Uh, a, a more efficient state, a better run state, a better uh, a better functioning state, so that so that it can uh, you know uh, more more efficiently beat us and tax us and and imprison us at will. Is that what we want? Is that where we're progressing towards? Oh, but but we're working towards a goal. We're working towards the goal of liberty. Are you working towards the goal of liberty, or are you just improving the efficiency of the state? Are you, are you grasping at straws of liberty while, while providing an economic structure that can keep the state functioning for another generation so that we can take all this massive debt that they've been building up and dump it on another generation? What, what are we really doing when, when we're doing this, when we're going in and actually trying to make the government work more efficiently what what is it that you're really trying to do are you really so short-sighted that you can only think of what you want right now and you don't think about what you're doing to future generations when they have to deal with an even bigger yet more efficient state 
let's think about this for a minute, because this is a flaw that I see constantly in libertarians. And I'll and I'll just throw I'll throw the gloves out right off and just say exactly what I'm thinking. This is Ayn Rand's uh, fault. Just there it is. It's Ayn Rand's fault. The whole idea, this whole individualist idea that comes out of the Randians, um, is is in my mind uh, destructive to libertarianism as a whole. She had some grasps of the edge of libertarianism, as many people in those generations had uh, just the grasp of the edge of it, but she did not have the whole grasp of the whole thing. And the selfishness that she relished in is, uh, is not a positive aspect of libertarianism. Um, yes, uh, it is true that we don't have an an obligation to another human being. On the other hand, we although we're not bound by any natural law to have an obligation to, to another human being, we are bound to other human beings by the very fact that we're all in this together and we're all human beings. And we have a tendency towards love, something that Rand probably wasn't familiar with. I know that's a little bit harsh, but, you know, sometimes the truth hurts. Love is a binding thing that gives us the desire to want to make a better world for future generations, even if it means sacrificing ourself. And this, this, this thing that so many libertarians trumpet, that uh, they, they, they stand out on the housetops and they, and they announce this to the world, that they will not sacrifice themselves for any other human being. You know what? I will sacrifice myself right now for a number of human beings. I would happily give up my life for my children's lives. And that's not going to change. And that has nothing to do with being a good libertarian or not being a good libertarian. That's human nature. That is absolutely human nature. And it's, and it's nature in a lot of animals. That is not a negative trait. And libertarians need to be able to grasp that concept and not put somebody else down because they feel that way. No, I'm not working for liberty in my lifetime. I'm sorry, I'm not. Because I'm a realist and I realize that liberty cannot happen in my lifetime. Because the state's going to be around for a long time. The Folks, the state is just getting its wheels rolling. You have no idea how nasty this thing's going to be. But the, but the great part is that however horrible it gets, it's going to increase the market for liberty. It's going to increase... You know... Um, I put this on uh, uh, Robert Higgs uh, put a thing on Facebook, and and I commented back on it, and I and I wanted to just uh, after I wrote it on on Bob Higgs's uh, comments, I wanted to copy that and just paste it everywhere. There there's a market for the state. There's a market for oppressive government and the belief in the state. Right now, the state exists because there's a market for it and the state will continue to exist as long as there's a market for it if that's one generation or ten generations or a thousand more generations as long as there's a market for the state for the myth of the state there will be a state government oppressive government will grow stronger and stronger and it will breathe down our throats and it will it will invade every aspect of our private lives until the time comes that there is no more market for oppressive government and the myth of the state is no longer something the public wants 
and believes in. And when the time comes that there's a market for liberty and there is no market for the state, or the market for liberty is greater than the market for the state, the state will cease. And I've said this many, many times. Before that happens, the state is going to realize what's about to happen, and it will panic, and it will thrash, and it will. And and I've been challenged. I've I've been challenged on this, and I've been asked to point out in a very uh, imp, uh, uh, to present a logical argument as to why I believe this. And so I want to do that. I want to put together an article that that logically and clearly shows why it is that I believe this. I haven't had the time to do that yet, but it's one of the really top priority things that I want to do. But either way, that's, that's my prediction on that, uh, and that's my statement on, on the state itself. We're not going to, you're not going to, you know, you go and you get involved in the state and you make the, you know, oh, you got this one legislation stopped, oh, that one bad legislation we were all so worried about. Do you really think that the state is just going to fold up its tent and say, oh, well, I guess I won't oppress these people anymore. No, it just keeps coming back again. It'll just rename that bill and keep pushing it through until it gets it under a different name. It'll just keep trying this under a different president or a different Congress or a different you know, mayor of your town or whatever. It will just keep doing this over and over it has for thousands of years. It's not going to stop now. You're not going to go out and have, you know, like I was, I was ragging on the Thrive people the other day, or actually for like three podcasts in a row I was ragging on those clowns because they're so naive. They think, oh, well, all we have to do is just have some campaign reform. We have that campaign reform. Everything will just be okay. Oh, come on. Come on. Grow up. You have to know your enemy. You have to know your enemy. If you go up against an opponent and you have no idea that opponent's strengths, their weaknesses, you're, you're just asking not only to be defeated, but to be humiliated. And that's what happens when you take on the state without understanding the nature of the state. I'm getting a little wound up. Um, I probably should get over and take a look at my notes. I was actually following them for a moment or two there in the beginning try to get back to the world of sanity here. Now, what's this other part here? Well, that's that's standard in a contract like that. That's called the sanity clause. Oh, no, 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 no. I don't believe in that. What? What? You don't believe? No, I don't believe. I'm a big boy. I don't believe in a sanity clause. Santa clause. That's a Mark's routine, except I didn't do the accent, so it didn't uh, sound quite as good as when the Marx brothers did it. Okay, so... Um, one of the things that I wanted to mention, as I said, getting back to my notes here and acting civil, last Thursday I had talked about, I, um, I've been working on this article called What is the State? And so I kind of gave a little bit of a preview of the article and I went over some of the, um, uh, some of the, uh, some of the parts of the article. I actually read part of the article and then I talked about some of the points of the article. And then uh, I got some feedback um, I got some feedback in Facebook, and I got some email feedback, and so I want to cover some of that. Now, keep in mind that I'm still working on the article, so this is an open, this is, I kind of let, uh, by reading it Thursday, I kind of let the audience in on the, uh, on, on the modification and on the development of the article itself, so I, I kind of cheated on the article in a, in a sense, that I, I put it out for some um, for some editing 
that I didn't have to go and do the, the legwork and edit. So, uh, so I did get the feedback, and that feedback is going to help me um, actually improve the article once I uh, sit down and write the thing. Uh, now, in it, uh, again, it was called, What is the State? And I'll give you just a real quick idea in case you haven't heard the podcast from Thursday. The idea is to examine the state and see what it is that we're talking about. So the state is not like an animal. I'm not going to read the whole thing. I just want to give a real quick recap. So don't. Uh, if you heard Thursday and you're like, well, I don't want to hear this again, well, just stick with me. It's, it's not really what you heard Thursday. So, so what is the state? The state is not like an animal. But there are two close comparisons for the state. One is an ant colony. And the other is an illness, and I talked about uh, a mil- mental illness, a mental disorder that the state is very much like, and uh, the idea that the state is like a viral infection. And Kai, and I, as I said uh, Thursday, Kai actually was the one that had the idea that it's like a viral infection, and we have talked about that on a couple of occasions. Uh, now's a good time to mention that Baggy the Cat just came into the office and she's uh, checking out the possibilities of disrupting the podcast, but we'll try to work through that. So um, now let's work first on the modification of what I said about an ant colony. What I said was uh, that which drives a state is similar to that which drives an ant colony. The ants act as if instructed, yet there is no instructor. Although governments have centralized leadership, the state does not. The state is not like the colony in a sense that the state learns and seems self-aware. Now, that's something that I'm going to have a a hard time proving it to some people. So I'm going to have to kind of flesh that out in a fuller article at some point. So so bear with me as I just throw that piece out there. But but at times, sometimes very obviously, the state appears to be self-aware. Whereas an ant colony only adapts to environmental stimuli and follows behavior that's best suited to maintain the health of the colony. Uh, But the state at times seems self-destructive and has very little or no regard for its individual contributors. Whereas an ant colony will actually rally to defend uh, uh, not only one or a group of of ants, um, they'll actually go out and retrieve uh, fallen comrades, so to speak. If you, it's. I always found this interesting. Um, you know, this may sound a little cruel, but I've been in. Oh, you know, working on a vehicle underneath a, a vehicle, rolling around on a driveway, and notice that there's just way too many ants getting around me and getting on my legs and stuff like that. So I reach over and start smashing several of them so that you know I get them off my legs and leave me alone while I'm trying to work on this vehicle. And in just a few minutes there's more ants. They come out and they pick up all the bodies of their comrades and then they send more people to figure out what I'm doing rolling around on their on their uh, driveway. And that's a it, it always struck me odd that they always come out and recover their dead. And I don't know if they just see it as a uh, protein source that they don't want to lose or you know I don't I don't know what their motivation in that. I I assume it's that simple that it's just a a protein source that they don't want to uh you know, to, to lose. But anyway, uh, off the point. Um, but the state doesn't regard its contributors in the least. It's more than happy to, uh, you know, sacrifice its own uh, people. Uh, has no problem with that. Now, the from, from, face, from Facebook comments, I wanted to point this out. 
Uh, also, the colony, an ant colony, is the natural condition of the ant. And as the ant follows the natural laws that are unique to ants, the ant and the colony thrive. So in a sense, you can actually look at an ant colony in sort of a, sort of a uh, uh, evidence that anarcho-capitalism can work. Because an ant colony is not a central planned thing. It's simply a collection of individuals all doing what is, what is natural to them. They're all following natural laws according to, you know, natural laws for ants. I've said this before that each species of animal has natural lights, natural, yeah, natural laws uh, specific to its own species. So, for example, um, the blue jays. Uh, that I've watched extensively, blue jays have a series of natural laws that they function under that are entirely different from the natural laws that, say, sparrows uh, function under. In Among sparrows, um, um, capital punishment is common. It's fully acceptable, and it's common, and it, and it happens instantly. If there's a sparrow that has uh, somehow, and I, I have never fully understood what the transgression is, but if there's a sparrow that has crossed that line and transgressed in such a way that the rest of the flock um, it deems it necessary to uh, commit capital punishment, the, they execute that will uh, most dramatically. And yet, this never, ever happens with blue jays. There is no, uh, there, there, the property rights are entirely different among blue jays than they are sparrows. And that includes the property of the individual. I have for years observed uh, blue jays and never once seen um, a, a flock of blue jays fall upon a single blue jay and attack it, much less execute it. So in this sense, uh, you have a very separate, a very different set of laws governing one species as opposed to another. And the laws that govern human beings are very unique to human beings. Uh, the, the laws that govern ants are very unique to ants. And as ants obey the laws that are natural to them, they have a better life and they secure uh, a better life for the colony as a whole. Now, here's the funny thing about ants. If the ant, if an individual ant, were to act against its own natural laws, the odds are that ant would die very quickly. Whether the other ants killed it or whether it died because of its uh, mistake or because of its actions, one way or the other, if an individual ant acted outside of its natural laws, that ant, ant, try that again, that ant would almost certainly die very quickly. Now, if within a colony of ants, many ants were to act against the nature, uh, against their nature, against their natural laws, there's a good possibility the colony itself would be in jeopardy. Now, if uh, if this trend caught on and spread to say other co other colonies, the species of ants themselves could be endangered by this trend of breaking natural law, breaking ant natural law. So a whole species of ant could be endangered or even wiped out. Now, since many species are interdependent, 
ants acting outside their natural laws could endanger, technically, that could endanger life on the whole planet. Because because ants, most people don't realize it, but there are a few insects that without which it, it, I'm, not pro, I'm not positive that we could have land-based life on Earth without a few insects, flies, ants, uh, termites, um, possibly a couple others, possibly, uh, well, well, of course, the, uh, the pollinating insects, uh, that's uh, obvious, I should have noticed that right off, without the pollinating insects and without flies, and flies even act as pollinators sometimes, but uh, without flies, without ants, without termites, and without pollinating insects, uh, land-based life on Earth, um, I, I, I don't see how, you could, how it could go on. So if, among ants, a trend began happening where individual ants stopped obeying n- n- ant natural law, then you could literally endanger the planet. Now, at that point, I want to stop and think about this for a minute. When, when we come back from our commercial break, I want to touch on this thought. So stick with me. The commercial break is only two minutes long, and, uh, and I'll have something to say about commercials, too, when I come back as well. I'll have a little bit of announcement for that. So stick with me. Two minutes. I'll be right back. How would you like to support BadQuaker.com and get something nice for yourself at the same time? I want to tell you about Survival Gear Bags. It's run by my friend Kelly, who believes in and adheres to the non-aggression principle. Kelly's customers know him for his great customer service and his personal touch because Kelly handles all customer service himself. The main focus of Survival Gear Bags is to allow you to build your own custom emergency kits with quality gear. Now, I know this because I bought my bug out bag from Survival Gear Bags over two years ago, and I've gone all over the country with it by my side. And you can rest assured that the prices will always be the best they can be at Survival Gear Bags. And if you use the link from badquaker.com, they'll probably throw in something for free for you with your order. Now, how do you do this? Well, it's simple. You go to badquaker.com. On the right side of the page, click on the picture of the backpack. Then look around at Survival Gear Bags and find the stuff you want. You'll help badquaker.com, and you'll support a merchant that's one of us. Now, I want to tell you about another way you can support badquaker.com and get something really cool at the same time. Shire Silver. Shire Silver is the proud seller of silver and gold trade cards. Shire Silver believes that silver and gold trade cards will show the world a better way to save, spend, and share precious metals. So what are silver and gold trade cards? There are specific weights of gold and silver laminated inside credit card-sized tradable cards. They're a handy and affordable way to trade precious metals. These cards received nationwide recognition when they were widely used as barter at the New Hampshire Porcupine Festival. You want a beer and a hot dog? Hand them a Shire Silver 5 card and get a Shire Silver 1 spot back as change. So again, what do you do? Well, you go to badquaker.com. On the right side, just below the backpack, you'll see the Shire Silver trade cards. Click on those cards and then check out Shire Silver's site. Be sure and watch Ron's video that's right there on the main page. And then swap some of those ridiculous Federal Reserve notes for something of real value. Something you can keep, trade, or give as the coolest gift ever. But be sure and use the link from badquaker.com. Thanks, folks. 
Okay, folks, thanks for sticking with me through the commercial. And I want to give a real quick uh, announcement having to do with the commercials. We have, uh, over the course of the year that we've uh, had BadQuaker.com and we've been trying to do this, we've, uh, among us, uh, all of us here, that being, uh, let's see, there's right now, there's actually five of us, two of us that you only see our faces and hear our voices, but... uh, but all five of us talk about and discuss the bad Quaker and the direction that we're going and so forth. And and maybe uh, if our plans go right and if we send three people to uh, Porkfest, you might get to meet Kai and you might get to meet two of the other people that are a part of the badquaker.com uh, group um, if, uh, if we do get to send them to Porkfest. So um, if you're anywhere near that part of New Hampshire... And can get over to Porkfest, and that's a that would be a good thing. There's a little free commercial for Porkfest for the for the folks in New Hampshire, and that's if you're unfamiliar with it, it's Porkfest, P-O-R-C, like porcupine, porcupine uh, festival. So uh, P-O-R-C-F-E-S-T. Okay, now um, I wanted to mention the, the advertisement and how we've been doing business and so forth um, before we get back to the ant thing. We have kicked around several possibilities of how to run BadQuaker.com and how to fund it so that uh, so that it's not a burden to the listeners and so that uh, we can you know keep it going. I, it, and I want to make it clear: it's I have uh, there's it's nowhere in the plan for me, Ben Stone, to ever make one thin nickel thin dime i suppose you say a red nickel or a thin dime is the phrases but it's not any part of the intention for me to ever make any money off a bad quaker um as a matter of fact uh, i can say i I won't all of my um uh, contributions to badquaker.com are just that contributions so um so we looked at different ways of course we did have uh voluntary contributions at first and then we had no method of contributing to Bad Quaker for a long time last year. And then close to the end of the year, uh, when, when we had actually developed a, you know, a, a pretty regular listening uh, uh, community, then we began saying, well, if you, you, know, if you folks want to hear this continue, then, and, you know, then let's go ahead and contribute. And we put a, a, um, a contribute button on the main page at badquaker.com. What we didn't realize was we were actually breaking PayPal's rules in doing that. So uh, once that became, once we became aware of that, we shut that down and stopped because it was never our intention to deceive anyone or break anyone's rules or whatever. So, and that put us in a position where, well, now we're financed for another year, so we are at our leisure as to figuring out how we can do this. So we took on some ad space, and we offered uh, commercials to a couple of people um, that you, what you just heard a moment ago. And I think we're going to, you know, we're open for feedback. So, folks, if you have some feedback for us, uh, feel free to email the the staff the, and including the ad, administration badquaker at badquaker.com or email me personally ben at badquaker.com or uh, you can email kai k i at badquaker.com 
Anyway, um, so we're kicking around different ideas, and we're thinking about dropping the commercials, and we're thinking of going back to strictly uh, donations, or we're thinking of uh, possibly offering things like, you know, if someone donates a certain amount of money, then we'll send them a bumper sticker, or if somebody donates a certain amount, we'll send them a, a sew-on patch, or we'll send them a hat, or we'll send, uh, you know, something else, a poster or something, or a T-shirt. We've talked about these different things. And uh, we haven't really come to a solid decision yet. We're, we're very much open for, uh, it's open for discussion still. Okay, so um, I guess I'll leave that discussion at that. And any input anybody might have, we'll, uh, we'll be sure and consider it. Um, okay, now jumping back into the ant thing. What I kind of indicated that there right before the commercial break was that if an individual ant in an ant colony misbehaves and chooses to, of course, ants apparently don't have free will. Humans are unique in the animal kingdom in the level of free will that we possess and exercise. But if an ant were to exercise free will, and if he were to make up his own laws and just uh, break the natural laws of the ant, there's a good likelihood he wouldn't survive. And if this trend caught on and other ants began um, following the lead of that ant and breaking natural ant law, then it could be a, a serious threat to the colony. And if this trend uh, caught on among other colonies, then the repercussions could be serious in the sense that you could actually threaten an entire species of ants because they're misbehaving and not following the, the laws that are natural to their species. And, of course, the repercussions of, of the loss of an entire species of ants could mean a devastation on a global level to so many other animals that depend on the cleanup process and the seed-moving process and all the other things that ants do that we usually don't think about when we only think of ants as being pests. But in fact, you know, ants uh, really do a lot to keep, uh, you know, to, to, to keep the planet clean and, and to keep uh, uh, working to break down soil in different ways to, you know, uh, to keep debris from just piling up higher and higher. Well, now, if, if we consider what would happen if ants uh, broke natural ant laws, then consider for yourself... What would happen if there was a species on Earth? Let's say, let's say this particular species, it's like a lot of other animals on Earth, except this one particular species has some unique characteristics that other animal species don't have. For instance, let's say this species we're talking about is really, really smart and really in, uh, uh, very innovative and, and inventive and tends to be a tool maker and tends to try to invent new things. And let's just say this, this species that we're talking about is mankind. And let's say mankind is living and functioning entirely under natural laws that are unique to man. And he goes on for eons of time doing exactly this, adapting to his environment, functioning, doing the natural things that, that, uh, that human beings tend to want to do, 
uh, living in, within the natural laws, just like an ant in a colony or just like a, the uh, blue jay that I talked about, just like blue jays following the natural laws of their species, just like lions in a pride, just like ducks flying wingtip to wingtip in a V formation, just like butterflies naturally leaving their home in central Mexico and flying all the way into Canada uh, to, you know, to mate and reproduce. And uh, all these things that animals do that are within the uniqueness of each of the laws of each species. And let's just say for, for the sake of discussion that mankind was also like that, following the laws of his species, existing for eons of time. Until at one point in time, a man decided to create new law, to create law that was not nature-based, but was man-based. And let's say this became a trend, and all men fell under the spell and believed that this was the way that things had to go. So that more and more, and it didn't happen all at once, but it happened slowly as more and more of mankind began to accept the idea that man's laws were more important than our natural laws that guide us. And eventually, the natural result of these man-made laws is to believe that a state would have to be formed. And at first, these states were formed in small little pockets of men dominating other men. But eventually, these little pockets grew larger and larger. And eventually, more and more of these little pockets merged and they became more and more powerful and they took over whole river valleys and eventually they took over whole continents. And at some point, the logical path for this species, these, these humans that believe that man-made laws can supersede man's natural laws, eventually they take over the entire planet. Now, so what are the hazards? Well, just like with the ants, there's a hazard to the individual. Whenever an individual starts to break the laws that are natural to itself, there is the hazard that the individual either will not prosper in the way that it could or it will not survive. So when a group of humans choose not to follow natural law and they choose this false law made by man, then they naturally do not prosper to the same level. They don't necessarily all die right away, but death is an aspect of this, and it's certainly the, the obvious end. And when a whole species begins to act in this way, then, of course, life for the entire species is not as good as it could be. It's, it's, the condition is not as favorable as it would be if the humans were following their natural laws. And so what's the ultimate result of this? Well, if the, ant col if, the, if the collapse of ant colonies around the world could actually endanger all land-based life, well, what would, it, what would the result of, of this myth of the state getting out of control to the point of where whole continents were controlled by the greed and the, the lack of responsibility for actions that comes with the state and with man making up man's own laws? Well, you could have crazy things happen, like, like you could have men that, having no repercussion for their actions, you could have men that invent things like bombs that could blow up whole cities with a single bomb. Wow, 
Who'd imagine something like that? A couple hundred years ago, who would imagine that that could happen? Who would imagine that there could be a submarine floating right off of the San Francisco coast that could have so many bombs within that submarine that it could launch rockets that go all the way up into space and then spread out with multiple warheads and rain down upon multiple cities in a continent and wipe out millions and millions of people in a single day. Who would think that a species, that human beings, would allow their twisted minds to accept the state and the laws, the human laws that come with the state, to the point of where the entire globe, the entire world, all of humanity would be threatened by man's ability to eliminate man. And now think about what the consequences of man following man's law rather than man following natural law. What is the consequence to all other species? Think about the... Don't think just on the military end. Think about this on the um, fascism end when, when private business and government have this weird, twisted, unnatural marriage and natural laws are thrown out and authority is given to the government that it shouldn't have and the government has this odd marriage with business and then they start having things like the nuclear power plants over there in Japan. They got hit by an earthquake. Could that ever happen under natural law, under a libertarian... What is it that the freedom fiends call the lib... Uh, um, they don't call it a utopia, paradise. They call it a lib pair, libertarian paradise. Under the lib, under a libertarian paradise, no entity could ever, no no um, corporation could ever grow to the point of where it could make something like that, because there are natural limitations to the size of a of a corporation, and without the force of government, a corporation could never grow to that size. And as a matter of fact, without the force of government, there would be no corporations. There would only be small businesses. So we could never create the kinds of things that could bring natural destruction or destruction to the natural world the way what happened over there with the, that nuclear power plant in, uh, in Japan or the one that happened years before in Russia. These things couldn't happen under a... Under a, a libertarian paradise and i talked before you know let's uh, i'm using the freedom fiends words as a libertarian paradise but i've talked about it as a liber as a as an anarchist utopia the anarchy in the world of tomorrow and that that world of tomorrow that anarchy utopia is not a utopia where everyone's assigned a number and we all walk straight and we all live in, in square little apartments and we all do our jobs and we stay in our cubicles and we ride public transportation and we are all assigned numbers. That's, that's not utopia. That's the socialist utopia. But the libertarian utopia is not one where everything is perfect, where, where a heaven-like existence, where nobody ever falls down and scrapes their knee because everything is perfect. That's not a libertarian utopia either. That's not an a anarchist, uh, anarcho-capitalist utopia. The anarchist utopia is one where individuals are responsible for their own actions. And if the individual ant breaks natural law, then the individual is held responsible for that action. 
and there is no myth of the state to cover his sins. He himself is responsible for his action. So if the policeman, I'm not saying there won't be policemen in a libertarian utopia. I'm saying if the policeman acts in any way against natural law, there is no state, there is no, there is no myth of the state to cover his sins. He is responsible for his action, and he is made responsible for his actions. And that's the key, and that's the difference between what we hope for and what we look for and what we have now. What we have now, each on every level throughout society, we expect the government to cover the sin, to cover our sins. We don't, we don't want to talk to our neighbor about that ugly car they've got in their driveway sitting up on blocks that's been there for over two years now. We don't want to talk to our neighbor about that. So we call the city. We don't want to talk to our, you know, we, we don't want to deal with the, the, the people that come screaming down our street going too fast, endangering our children. We don't want to deal with the, with the people who are doing that. We don't want to stand up to them and step out in the street and hold out our hand and say, stop coming through my neighborhood that fast. We don't want to do that. So what do we want to do? Well, we'll just call the police and see if we can get a road a speed trap set up down here for a few days. See, we'd rather pay somebody else. Actually, we'd rather force other citizens to pay the cop to come down and enforce the laws that we like. That's what we'd really rather do. I didn't even get to, boy, I really went off track. I wanted to get to the other thing. Let's see how I'm doing on time. I might be able to squeeze it in. I'm going to give it a shot. Uh, I want to get to the other, let's get away from the ants. I want to get to the other notations that I had uh, here in reference to my podcast from last Thursday. Okay, so I had said that the, uh, the state is similar to an ant colony, and then I said it's not like an ant colony because of these reasons. All right, but then I said the state is similar to a mental disorder. And then uh, let me read to you real quickly what I said about that. I'm not going to read the whole thing, just a little part of it here. I said the myth of the state infects the mind of a human like a psychological disorder. It seems to be an anxiety-based belief and contains characteristics similar to a generalized anxiety disorder with unsubstantiated fear-driven tendencies similar to a phobic disorder. The myth of the state also induces a type of mood disorder similar to, bi to bipolar disorder, causing people to oscillate between feelings of defeat, despair, and helplessness to almost uncontrolled excitement. These two faces of the victims of the state are defeat and obedience and uh, euphoria and revolution. Euphoria and revolution being one side of that and defeat and, ob and obedience the other side of that uh, a bipolar uh, experience. Individuals infected by the state may also show signs of paranoid schizophrenia. Now here's where I got corrected. Uh, I'm going to read just a little part. I didn't get his permission. So I'm not going to actually read the email that I got, but it was a really good email uh, by a faithful, li faithful listener. And so I want to just read an excerpt out of his email. He says, the analogy, the analogy about psychiatric di <laughs> diagnoses, I'm sorry, folks, I'm, my reading is horrible, is mostly correct. But as a mental health professional who helps do psychiatric evals at an ER, 
um, and who's worked with schizophrenia and bipolar uh, since about 1985. I'd like to point out that the symptoms of the imaginary person with schizophrenia that you describe better describes paranoid delusional disorder. Delusions that someone with schizophrenia, uh, let's see, Delu oh yeah, I see. Delusions that someone with schizophrenia might have are usually more bizarre. Uh, my and he gives examples. My thoughts are being beamed to the White House. My boyfriend lives on Mars. The number of letters on a license plate are a special code meant just for me. Um, things that someone, uh, things that someone they're telling this to would likely never uh, believe it. Um, so I, I really appreciate that correction. That got me actually looking this up, and he's absolutely correct. Um, it's not really schizophrenia that the belief in the state is the closest to. It's really more like this paranoid delusional disorder. And I want to read a, a quick definition of paranoid delusional disorder, and I'll, I'll probably butcher it as bad as I, as I butchered his email. Uh, the main feature of this disorder is the as the presence of delusions, which are unshakable beliefs in something untrue. People with delusional disorder experience non-bizarre delusions. I, and that's the key. That's what he was talking about. That's, that's where I was messing up. Non-bizarre delusions, which involve situations that could occur in real life, such as being followed, being poisoned, being deceived, being conspired against, or loved from a distance. Um, people with delusional disorder often can continue to socialize and function normally apart from the subject of their delusion and generally do not behave in an obviously odd or bizarre manner. And, and so, I mean, that's better. That, see, what's happened here, as I'm uh, uh, bringing out the article that I'm trying to write, and I, and I read part of it on Thursday... And now your emails and your feedback on, on Facebook, I'm able to come back in and modify my article and make a better article out of it. So if I ever, assuming I ever finish the thing, um, when I finally do put it on the website and then try to get some attention for it, I'm not going to look like an idiot when somebody reads it and says, well, this clown doesn't know what he's talking about because you people have helped me refine it. I, I appreciate that so much. Now... Let me check my time here and see if I can... Oh, I'm out of time. Oh, no. Okay, uh, well, I was going to read a thing from Doug Casey on the same topic um, that I found in, in trying to research this, where he uh, compares um, people who believe in the state to psychopaths. But I'm going to have to save that for another time, other than to say that Doug Casey uh, really... He really hit the ball out of the park on this. I really, I really enjoyed reading Doug Casey's stuff. Anyway, he's just, he's a wonderful person and a wonderful addition to the, to the uh, Liberty Movement. Well, either way, folks, thanks very much for listening to BadQuaker.com, and thanks for sticking with us for a whole year, for all the of those of you who have, and for as long as any of you have been with us. Thank you very much. We really do, all of us here. We appreciate the support. Um, get over to BadQuaker.com. And leave us some feedback on the website. Email me, ben at badquaker.com, bad, ben, B-E-N, at badquaker.com. Or uh, go to uh, badquaker.com, and on the right-hand side, you'll see the buttons for the Facebook uh, page. Just hit that Facebook button, and that will go to the Facebook Bad Quaker. 
and uh, you can leave feedback there. Uh, like the the page if if you feel to, um, or look me up on Facebook under the name Ben Stone, and uh, and give me a, it's. You'll know that it's this Ben Stone uh, because because there's a lot of people named Ben Stone, but you'll know it's me because I have the little rabbit logo, and there's a story behind that I'll get to one of these days. Folks, thanks very much for listening. For more on um, liberty, the zero aggression principle, and property rights, go to badquaker.com. Thanks a lot, folks.